Father God, we have proclaimed to you and we have worshipped you in truth. But now, Father, we're, we're coming before your word with hearts that are open for you to pour yourself into us. To challenge us, to convict us, to encourage us. And so, God, we give ourselves to that. The continuation of my worship is going to be my attentiveness to you. That if my mind begins to, to wander, Lord, that I will get it back to you. That if Satan brings maybe some cares and concerns of this world before me, Lord, that I will shut the door to those. And I will listen to you today. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. I know you as our Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Father, that it is going to resonate with this truth of your word that is shared today. Thank you. In my son's name we pray. Amen. Well, a little over 2,000 years ago, an angel appeared to a group of shepherds. And he made an announcement. He was announcing the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're not getting into the Christmas season a little bit early here, but I do want to highlight that verse that we often just refer to at Christmas time because it's very important to us. It says in Luke chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, it says, And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news and great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Born for you a Savior. No one at that moment, no, none of those shepherds out in the field, and certainly not any of the sheep, could have possibly realized what that would mean. What would it look like that this child that was going to be born was going to be a savior? Now, certainly there's some things that you've got to think the shepherds thought of. A savior, well, you know, they were Jewish, so they were probably thinking, oh, he's going to save us from this Roman occupation. You know, they, they lived in poverty as shepherds. You know, save us from hunger, save us from pain, save us from this poverty that we have been born into. But very soon, they would learn about a Savior who would love them so much that he would take all of their sins upon them. Everything that they've done in the past, think about that for a moment. In your life, you know, however old you are, can you think about those past sins that Jesus Christ has died for? That he would take that sin, whatever it was, last year, 10 years ago, that which Satan keeps throwing in your face and throwing before you to discourage you, that sin, that Jesus Christ would take that past sin and place it in his body on the cross. And those sins that we are presently possibly involved in right now, that Jesus as well would die for those sins. And whenever is going to come the rest of this week and this year, that a Savior would be born to me who would die for my sins. And the birth of a Savior is a birth of hope. It's a birth of grace and of joy and, and forgiveness 
in our lives. A savior reminds us that Christ's earthly birth was all about his ultimate sacrifice to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to become our savior. Now we are going to, in a few moments, we are going to be participating in the Last Supper, in the Communion Supper. This supper, this time that we have together, it's a time to remember. It's a time for us to celebrate. It's time for us to to rejoice over what God has done for us. But as we do that, we need to do this with an eye on the reality of the seriousness of our sin. We need to always realize the, the price that it costs Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. Now, I was thinking about this uh, this past week, and I, and I think in many ways, a Christian's sin grieves our Heavenly Father than the sin of an unbeliever. You know, it's just different. When an unbeliever sins, it has disastrous eternal consequences, you know, and, and eternity in hell. You know, the wages of sin, the price of sin it, it is death. And we know, as a Christian, if you are a Christian today, you know that that judgment is removed from a Christian through Jesus Christ. That, so no matter what I do in my life, if I am genuinely a Christian, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what failure I have, that ultimately I am welcomed by the Heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ, not because of myself, but because of Christ. But, but we've got to think about that for, for that. Does that mean I can do whatever I want? Does that mean it doesn't really matter what, you know, whether I sin or not? You see, when a Christian sins, when a believer sins, I come to realize, realization that we do it in the face of our loving Heavenly Father. You know, someone who's not a Christian, you know, what do sinners do? They sin. And they may not even know. But when I choose sin, I do that in the face knowing that Jesus Christ paid the price for me. Knowing what it cost him. Knowing what he had to do to forgive it. And, And sometimes we tend to forget how our sin grieves God. As a Christian, we forget that our sin still grieves God. You know, we, it's, it's easy to focus and remember that, you know, past, present, future, you know, Christ died for all of my sins. But then we forget that our sin still grieves God. Even as believers, we need to continuously deal with the things that we have done wrong. We need to confess. We need to seek forgiveness from God. My mind was brought to uh, John chapter 13 this past weekend. We know that that's the Last Supper, as John recorded it, that Christ spent with his disciples, what we get the symbols of the communion meal off of. And you remember at the very end of that meal what Christ did? It says that he he went and he took up a towel and a basin of water, and he went around and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, there was a beautiful symbol there, and you have heard message after message about you know, the servanthood of Jesus Christ. And that is a tremendous point that comes out of of that portion of Scripture. 
But Christ was not just giving them a symbol and telling them something that they need to do for one another. Yes, that is true. But he was also giving us a theological truth by what he has done. Because if you remember, when he got to Peter, and he's about to wash Peter's feet, I mean, by then, those, these disciples must feel totally humiliated that they're not the ones washing the feet, that you know, Christ, the King of Kings, is washing the feet. So he comes to Peter, and Peter says, not me, Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. And to that, you know, it says in John chapter 13, Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me, Simon Peter. And he said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean and you are clean. But not all of you. You see, the, the, the theological truth that he was giving us is that we are going to, even as Christians, we're going to be walking through life, and as we walk through life, we're going to get dirty. We're going to, we're going to sin. And you need to take care of that sin. You don't need to be resaved. You don't you need to start all over again. But you need to deal with the dirty parts. You need to deal with the parts that have been stained by the world. You see, sin has consequences in a Christian's life. Let's talk about them for a second. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So sin there is called an encumbrance, a weight. It says sin entangles a believer. It, it hinders our walk and being able to, to fully serve the Lord. We think about David in seeking forgiveness for the sin of adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. Remember what he said in Psalm 51, verse 12? He said, restore to me, Lord, <coughs> excuse me, the joy of your salvation. David, because of his sin, had, had, had lost some connection with God, just that, that freedom with God. See, sin affects our relationship with God. And then John gives us this precious truth from God in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then as if, he could read the minds of those who would read this. He says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the word is not in us. In other words, he says, everyone sins. Everyone commits, you know, wrong acts against God. And we need to confess our sins to God. We need to ask his forgiveness. Just don't assume it. You know, oh, I, I know he's a forgiving God, or I know I'm a Christian and God forgives me. We need to ask. He says we need to confess. That is an action that we take. That is a connection that, that, that I cry out to God and literally ask him. I confess what I've done and I ask him to, to, to restore to me the joy of my salvation, to, to forgive that and to, 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 to bring me back into his presence. Now over in Union Grove, Wisconsin, that's where my wife uh, went to high school. Way out in the country in Union Grove, Wisconsin, there is a large sauerkraut factory. 
And if you've ever been around a sauerkraut factory, you know what I'm going to be talking about. You could take me there blindfolded, and I'd know where I was. The factory produces a distinct aroma. Uh, well, maybe more accurate, it's a smell. Okay, it stinks, okay? I mean, it stinks bad. And all day long, you know, when you get to a certain distance and you're around there, all day long you can smell this unpleasant odor. When you first go there, you know, the very first time you sniff it, you say, what's that? And the funny thing is the people who live there say, what's what? You know, they've lived around that stench so long that it doesn't even register with them anymore. It's gross, but they've gotten used to gross. Now, the prophet Ezekiel, he was called to represent God in a time when the lives of God's people were creating a moral stench. In Ezekiel chapter 9, God has just laid out before his prophet the extent of Israel's moral decline, the debauchery of God's people. And he's about to judge the city. But before he does judge the city, he says in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, he says, And the Lord said to him, to Ezekiel, he says, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and make a mark on the foreheads of the people who groan and sigh over all the abominations which are being committed in the midst. I want you to mark the people who still have their sense of smell, who still understand the stench of sin and what it does to me. I want you to mark them. You know, that, that, that we're going to talk about them in just a moment here. Matter of fact, Max Lucado, um, in one of his books that I've read, he, I'm, I'm just going to read what he has to say concerning this. He said this, God is saying here that I'm looking for some people who don't gloss over sin, people who grieve over sin. The kind, the pers- that kind of person was hard to find then, and they're hard to find now. The kind of person was special then, and they're special now. That's why God says mark them. They are God's heroes in any culture, including our own. People who don't get used to living in the middle of sin, that they suddenly don't notice the smell of it anymore. He goes on and says, chances are you come in contact with a lot of sinful garbage each day. Lying that's just considered smart business. A flippant attitude towards sexual purity, towards adultery. A flippant, who cares approach to the sacred act of love created by God for a lifetime bond. When we're around a casual attitude towards sin, we tend to get used to it. It doesn't break our heart anymore. But it still breaks God's hearts. And he is looking for people with his heart. We hear people treat God's name and Jesus' name like dirt. Jesus, the name that in which every knee will bow, We're spiritually seduced by attitudes that are really dressed up idol worship. But we've stopped being bothered by it. Things like living for money, living for a guy or a girl, living for the next party, living for a conquest. We live in the middle of the stench of gossip, the stench of backbiting and disrespect and hard-heartedness, callousness towards stuff that killed our Savior. Finally, he says, it's time that we prayed. 
God, please give me back my sense of smell. Unless we daily get with God and see what he sees, we'll be worn down and eroded until sin doesn't really look that bad anymore. Imagine someone telling a drunk driving joke to a man, and the man just isn't laughing. When he asks why, he says, because a drunk driver killed my son. That's why God isn't laughing at sin that we tend to take so lightly. If you want to see what sin looks like, go to the Skull Hill and see God's son hanging on a blood-stained tree screaming, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll grieve over the sin that is in us, the sin around us, when we remember what sin did to our dear Savior. Sin stinks, and it's a rotting odor of eternal death. No matter how glamorous it is perfumed, don't ever get used to the smell. Well, God has given us a means to clean out that rot, that rotting odor of sin in our lives. And that is by confessing it to him, talking to him about it, praying, we would say, speaking to him in our hearts, praying to him and, and letting him know what we've done, letting him know the sorrow over it. You know, repenting, repentance, a, it's a change of direction. You know, our intent of what we intend to do about our sin. Remember when the, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? Remember part of what he taught them was to pray and ask forgiveness for our sins. You know the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So part of, you know, Christ's response to, hey, teach us to pray, so I'll teach you to pray. Part of your prayers should be speaking to God about your trespasses, about your sins. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where God is teaching us how to approach the Lord's table, it says this, and I know you're, we refer to these verses often about communion, but I want us to remember them. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, <clears throat> it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. He says, we need to examine ourselves. That's part of communion. That's part of the Christian life, to examine our lives. He says, in verse 31, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. In other words, I should be judging myself. I should be looking at my actions. I should be looking at my attitudes and how it is playing out in the world around me. God calls Christians to regularly look at our lives for areas and acts of sin that we need to confess to God. We need to ask for his cleansing. Psalm 32, verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not hide my guilt. 
I said, I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't that a precious verse? Mark that. Memorize that verse. Acknowledging our sin, not hiding our guilt. You know, confessing my wrongdoings to the Lord. And finally, the most important thing, you forgave my guilt. And this is a regular part of our relationship with God. Cleaning up the parts of our life that have become dirty by the world by confessing it to God. So I want to ask you, if you're a Christian today, how often do you, how often do I, how often do we come and confess our sins to God? How often do you do it? Say, God, please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. And name it. I shouldn't have thought that. God, I shouldn't have entertained that attitude. How often do you do that? Do we still do it at all today? I mean, when was the last time that you really prayed about your sin? Not just thought, oh, that was wrong. I, I need to do better. That's not, that's not confession. You know, that's not repentance. But when was the last time you really have taken your sin to God? I got to tell you, often daily, but always weekly, I find myself before God asking him to forgive a wrong or to cleanse me of, of something that he has brought to my attention. And this should be a regular part of a Christian's prayer life. Immediately upon realizing a sin, we need to take it to God. You know, I've... I've I think I've used this illustration before, but, you know, confessing our sin, it, it, you know, our lives are kind of like an air filter. You know, air is passing through that filter, so that filter can kind of, you know, take out all the impurities, all of the dirt. And as air is passing through that filter, there's dirt particles are attaching to the filter. And over time, more and more and more of these small little dirt particles are attaching themselves to the filter. And pretty soon, the airflow is hindered. The engine begins to run rough. We see for a Christian, when sin is confessed, or excuse me, when sin goes unconfessed, you see, it doesn't go away. It just kind of keeps plugging up our life and plugging up another area of our life and another area of our relationship with God and, and, and just that freedom that we have in, in, in coming before him. But 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Hear that? God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to remember that today in communion in just a moment here. I'm going to actually call the men right now who are going to help us serve communion. If you want to come up here and just take your seat down here, I'd greatly appreciate that. As they come, and before we hand out the elements and before we take these things together, it is a time for each and every one of us to examine our lives. I don't know if you do this on a regular basis. I don't know if you do this on your own, but I'm asking you to do this today. If you are a Christian, to do this now, to go before God. And whatever it is in your life, no one needs to know around you, but God needs to know. 
You need to speak to God about it. Lay your sin before him. Find cleansing. Find a restoration of your relationship with him that has been hindered because of sin. This is in part what communion is for, to take care of those parts that have have wandered away from God because of sin. Now communion, this Lord's Supper, it is for believers. And we practice here, we practice open communion. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate with us because this is for Christians to remember Christ's body broken, his blood shed for us. This is God's way of reminding us how serious our sin is and what it cost his son. If you're not a child of God today, I mean, no matter how many times you have been to church, how many times you have heard the gospel message, if you have not yet responded and in your heart given your heart to him and asked him to, you know, to be your savior, to be your Lord, to forgive your sins, if you've not done that, you can do that right now. What a time of rejoicing that would be, a great time of rejoicing. Now, this time of examination, you come to see, hey, I'm, I don't think I'm a Christian. And if you are ready today, you can give your heart to him and you can be saved. We would love that. We would love to, for this to be your first communion with us uh, because you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As our worship team comes, we're going to have a word of prayer together. So as the team comes, the rest of you, if you'll bow with me. Oh, Father God, yeah, I know for, for me, this is a, can be a very somber moment of realizing my Savior, what you did for me. It's so humbling. God, I, I know you want us to go away from here, no, Lord, not downtrodden by our sin, but refreshed by our relationship with you, refreshed by our cleansing and our forgiveness. To go away from here, Lord, as your children, restored, whole. And I so thank you for that. I thank you for reminding us all that you endured for my sin so that I might have a pure, unfettered relationship with you in eternity, but Father as well here. I just thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the meal that you've given for us to participate to together, to encourage one another, to help one another, 
on, on this journey that we are on, on this side of eternity. So help us, Lord, to be that to one another, to be, you know, that encouragement, even that accountability in, in, at times when it's necessary. Father, the most important thing in my life is to have that pure relationship with you, to hear, be able to hear your voice, to have you hear my prayers. And so, Lord, I thank you for the cleansing today as hearts open themselves to you. Thank you.